life of City Church. And so I know you're going to be blessed by the word today. So why don't you give Lindsay a huge hand as he comes to lead us off today. Thanks, Ben. Good morning. I thought we'd start the day by actually reflecting on a word that God gave Ben for this church. So if uh, we can put up the, uh, the scripture from Isaiah, Isaiah 60. Have you been focusing on this this year? I only get here half of the year because I'm somewhere else for, for some strange reason. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I found when I first heard, heard this scripture and, and that it was the word for, for this church, it really inspired me. So let's, let's just listen to the words from Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for the light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you, and the riches of the nations will come. Today we want to exhort the church to arise in prayer and praise. A little four-year-old boy is awoken at four o'clock in the morning. A crash of lightning, thunder. He decides he's going to get to his parents' room and he gets to the door, but he can't reach the handle and the door opens inwards. As the next bolt of lightning flashes around through the room, he prays, God, help me get to mummy and daddy. At that moment, a gust of wind comes through an open window, blows down the hallway, pressures on the door, which latch isn't quite locked and pops the door open. The little boy is free, and as he runs down the hallway, he remembers his prayer and where it goes, It's okay, God, I got out myself. <laughs> is that not so true about all of us so many times? I follow a, a, a Bible reading which allows me to read the, the scriptures through the year, so each day there's a little, little bit of the verses. But it means at the beginning of the year, I get to read Exodus, Joshua, Judges. And what do you read? You read, God moves in miraculous ways. He parts the Red Sea. He provides water out of the rocks. He raises a Gideon. He raises a Deborah. But then what do you read directly after that? Then the people of God turned away from him. This is not very religious, but my mind goes, you thickheads. How can you be so stupid? If God did things like that here, all of the world would be Christians, right? Wrong. <laughs> I want to share with you this morning um, what happens when uh, we, we don't look at what God has done for us. Let me tell you this story. It was told by the Reverend David Gardner, and it's about the miracle of Dunkirk. Last year, we had two movies that came out to celebrate this miracle. One was called The Darkest Hour. The other was just called Dunkirk. We know about the evacuations let me tell you the true miracle. The 10th of May, Hitler had launched his blitzkrieg against the Low Countries in France. By the end of the second week in May, the French defences had broken down. German panzer forces, led by Rommel and his 7th Division, burst through and with lightning speed began a rapid advance across France and Belgium. Very soon, Rommel's armoured piercers movement was threatening the British army with encirclement and the forces were obliged to withdraw. 
back at home, Sir Winston Churchill, fearing that it was his hard lot to announce the greatest military disaster in the long history. Whilst on the 27th of May, the German High Command went so far as to boast, the British Army is encircled and our troops are proceeding to its annihilation. With the entire front collapsing rapidly, the decision was reached in Britain to evacuate the forces from the continent. But the only port from which to evacuate the British forces was Dunkirk, and that was already being seriously threatened by the Germans. Taking stock of the predicament, Churchill said, I thought, and some good judges agreed with me, that perhaps 20,000, maybe 30,000 men could be reembarked. The whole root core and brain of the British Army seemed about to perish on the fields of battle. And this is what we don't tell this generation. This is what our media, our uh, social medias, uh, our history teachers don't tell us. Britain had a godly sovereign. Seeing the situation developing, His Majesty King George VI, Queen Elizabeth's father, requested that Sunday the 26th of May should be observed as a national day of prayer. In a stirring broadcast, he called the people of Britain and the Empire to commit their cause to God. Together with members of the cabinet, the king attended Westminster Abbey, whilst millions of his subjects in all parts of the Commonwealth and Empire flocked to the churches to join in prayer. Britain was given inspiring leadership in those days, and her people responded immediately. The whole nation was at prayer on that Sunday. The scene outside Westminster Abbey was remarkable. Google it at some stage. Unfortunately, I couldn't get photos that would show up here. But the photos show long queues of people that couldn't get into the abbey because it was so crowded. So much so that the Daily Sketch the next day said, nothing like this has ever happened before. In its hour of deepest distress, a heart cry from both the monarch and the people alike was going up to God in prayer. And that cry didn't go unanswered. Very soon, at least three miracles were seen to happen. The first miracle... For some reason, which has never been fully explained, Hitler and his generals decided to halt the advance. At the very point when they could have proceeded to the British Army's annihilation, they were now only 10 miles away. Later, Churchill asserted in his memoirs that this was probably because Hitler undoubtedly believed that his air superiority would be sufficient to prevent a large-scale evacuation by sea. That is very significant in terms of the second miracle. A storm of unprecedented fury broke out over Flanders, between Flanders in Belgium right through to Dunkirk on the 28th of May, grounding the German Luftwaffe squadrons and enabling the British Army, now 8 to 12 miles from Dunkirk, to move up on foot to the coast in the darkness of the storm and the violence of the rain with scarcely any interruption from aircraft which were unable to operate. The Fuhrer had obviously not taken into consideration the weather, nor the one who controls the weather. The third miracle, despite the storm in the Flanders, an incredible calm broke out on the English Channel and its waters became as still as a mill pond. If you watch the movie Dunkirk, the waves roll and everything like that, but the reality was the English Channel became still. So still that big ships, small ships, in actual fact anything that could float, plied its way across in a desperate bid to rescue as many men as possible. If we can put up that map, and we'll see a little bit of what's going on there. You like my lovely black drawing there? <laughs> what, what we don't recognise is that the boats couldn't go straight from Dover to Dunkirk because that area was all mined. So warships could ply that area, but 
but little boats couldn't. So they had to travel 100 miles in a looped fashion. Now, as you can see where Dunkirk is, from the right of Dunkirk, right across into Belgium, that's Flanders. So that whole area is an incredible storm, so much so that the best pilots in the world can't fly. That 100 miles of sea is so calm that a rowboat could go across it. Is that not as great a miracle as parting of the Red Sea? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Truly amazing things were happening. There were signs on every hand that the intervening power was at work. Officers and men alike had seen the hand of God, powerful to save, delivering them from the hands of a mighty foe, who, humanly speaking, had them at his mercy. And they were not slow to say so. Even Fleet Street had placed on record that the two miracles had made possible what had seemed impossible. So grateful was the nation for his mighty deliverance that on Sunday the 9th of June in 1940, it was appointed as a national day of thanksgiving. On the eve of that day, C.B. Mortlock stated in the Daily Telegraph that the prayers of the nation were answered and that the God of hosts himself had supported the valiant men of the British Expeditionary Forces. Two great wonders stood forth, he said. On them have turned the fortunes of our troops. I've talked to officers and men who have got safely back to England and all of them tell of these two phenomena. The first, the great storm which broke out over Flanders. The second, the great calm which settled over the English Channel. Officers of high rank do not hesitate to put down the deliverance of the British Expeditionary Force to the fact of a nation being at prayer on Sunday the 26th of May, two days before the great storm and the great calm. The word miracle was soon being heard on all sides and the consciousness of a miraculous delivery pervaded the camps in which the troops were being housed. On June the 4th, Sir Winston Churchill rose in the House of Commons and spoke with a voice charged with emotion when he reported that rather than 20 to 30,000 men being re-embarked, 335,000 men had been carried out of the jaws of death. When the services of national thanksgiving were held on the, in, in churches on the June, June the, the 9th, it was with great feelings that many choirs and congregations sang the words of Psalm 124, for they were seen to be apt for the situation. Let me read them to you. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise the Lord who has not let us be torn by the teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the foulest snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. Let me share with you my key scripture for the day, which is 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. You probably have never heard this in the history lessons before, but I truly believe the Nazis were defeated on the 26th of May, 1940, when the people turned to God for deliverance. It took another five years to reach fulfilment, but from that moment on, the crucial battles turned in favour of the Allies. Now, that's almost my generation. My parents lived through World War II. For many of you, it would be a great-grandparents. So let me go a little bit further, uh, closer to our days. So we're moving to 1989. 
On October 9th in 1989, exactly one month before the Berlin Wall fell, the largest impromptu demonstration ever witnessed in the German Democratic Republic took place in Leipzig. Some 70,000 people protested against the ruling parties and they were powerless to stop it. The Nikolai Church had been holding peace prayers every Monday evening since 1982. Hold that, that thought. Attracting lots of people who were politically dissatisfied and unable to voice their concerns. Word of the peace prayers got out. Pastor Christian Furrer explains. On May 8th, the authorities barricaded the streets leading to the church, hoping to put people off. But it had the opposite effect. The congregation grew. On September 4th, the day of the annual Lipsig Autumn Fair, Western camera crews had been granted permission to film all over the city, and lots of them had gathered outside of our church. When we came out, some of us unrolled our protest banners and managed to hold them up briefly before the Stasi, which is the East German secret police, tore them out of our hands. But the cameras never stopped rolling. We were on Western German TV that night, so not only the people in the West saw what was happening in Leipzig, but everyone in the German Democratic Republic as well. Then came October 7th, the 40th anniversary of the German Democratic Republic. There were hundreds of arrests made among the crowds in front of our church. Honecker, the German Democratic leader, himself had declared that the church should be closed and the police used brute force against the demonstrators. There was an article in the newspaper announcing that the counter-revolution, i.e., a praying church, would be put down on Monday, October the 9th, with whatever means necessary. The day before, the church was visited by doctors from the local hospital and told that they had been requested to make rooms available for multiple bullet wound patients. You willing to come to the prayer meeting? Around six to 8,000 people on October the 9th crammed into the church at Lipsig. A total of 70,000 people had gathered in the city from around the country. Pastor Christian had told the, the demonstrators, I want you to hold candles and flowers. He said later, to hold a lighted candle, you need two hands, which means you can't throw rocks. Later, the members of the Central Committee said, we had everything planned. We were ready for anything except prayer and candles. The police had not been briefed of this possibility. Had we thrown stones, they would have known what to do. They would have attacked. But the tanks had no choice but to withdraw without a single shot being fired. And that's when we knew that the German Democratic Republic would never be the same again. We had a sense that something extraordinary had happened but we really only understood the enormity of it later. Have we got that picture of the, the rally? Look at that. That was caused by one church in one small town seeking God every Monday in prayer. One month later, we saw the incredible sights of the Berlin Wall coming down and the end of all of that oppression. We were not least confident, we were afraid day and night, but we had the courage of our convictions. The Bible had taught us that the power of peaceful protest, and this was the only weapon we had. Pastor Christian says, it still moves me today to recall that in a secular country, the masses condensed the Beatitudes in the Lord's Sermon on the Mount into two words, no violence. 
and then they practiced what they preached. If miracles happened, this truly was one. It was the first successful revolution and it was a peaceful one. Asked, do you believe if the German Democratic Republic would have collapsed without the events in Leipzig? The pastor replied, I don't believe so. Things were happening in Leipzig that were not happening anywhere else. The regular peace prayers that had been taking place for many years. Miracles happen in our midst every day. Like the little boy, we don't see the hand of God sometimes. Like the children of Israel, we sometimes forget how God is moving. But the challenge that I'm giving to you today is God hears our prayers. Ainsley was talking about it in the worship today. I I turned to my wife and said, I think Ainsley's been reading my sermons. (laughs) You know, the sad thing is it appears that every time in the Bible and in looking at our history as well, that when God moves in a powerful way, in the midst of peace and prosperity, the people forget where their salvation came from. Our remembrance of events like Dunkirk and Berlin focus on human endeavour but they forget the sovereign intervention of God. We do this in our lives continually. Like the little boy, we fail to see the God moments and give him praise. God has challenged our church to arise. Today I want to challenge us all. It's time to arise, humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face. Last year, our Prime Minister announced on on TV that he wanted the people of Australia to pray for the drought and the media mocked him. And said, what help is that? If we can just put up that uh, verse again uh, in in Chronicles. I just want you to focus in on a little bit of this. The scripture says, if my people, not if the people, if my people who are called by my name. What do we call ourselves? Christians. Christians. The name of Christ. If God's people will humble themselves and pray and seek his face, then from heaven he will come and hear our prayers and heal our land. So here's the challenge. Spend more time in prayer. Get together as groups to pray. I just wrote a a little note this morning. Don't just wait for prayer to happen. It doesn't. You've got to make it happen. Encourage one another to arise. What should we pray for? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of things now to pray specifically for. We were talking just recently and someone was saying, oh, we've had a dry winter and it's going to be a really dry summer. And I went, no, it's not. Because I'm praying for the drought to break. Our church has been called to pray for the drought to break. Let's not pray, oh, if it be your will, Lord. If my people will humble themselves, then I will hear and heal their land. Our land needs healing. Let's as a church arise and pray that God heals our land. I'm praying for Ken Watson. I'm looking forward to the day that he's back on the bike riding to, to Wollongong. And, you know, ne- next week we've got 180 TC. You know, it was so great to just, just be with Ken last week and just see, you know, how he's just seeking God and, 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 and pushing into God. Let's as a church pray with Ken, pray with, with Megan, pray for a miracle. I want to challenge us as a church. I don't care what political party you're in. Pray for your government. Pray for the leaders. Pray pray for our councillors. Pray for our state government. Pray for our federal government. If we're not praying for them, who is? 
You know, if you don't like what they're doing, pray. We need to pray for our church, for our, our precious pastors, for, for those who lead. Let's keep lifting them up to God every day. Pray for our walk with God. In Isaiah 60, it talks about a dark time and the people turn to darkness. Many of you haven't had the same life experience I have. In my 60 years, I've seen our society turn to darkness. We are no longer a Christian country. We're a secular country. We no longer serve God. We break every one of the Ten Commandments. So we need to be praying that God challenges us and shows us his ways, not the ways of the world. Don't go to Facebook. Don't go to the media. Don't even go to your friends. Go to the word of God. Pray for your walk with God. And then just keep adding to the list all the things that God puts on your heart to pray. Let's not neglect the most powerful weapon we have, a direct line with God. Let's arise and pray. Have you noticed that when God moves, the people recognize the awesomeness of God? Praise follows. Many of the Psalms start in crisis. Then they recognize that God is in control. Then they end up in praise. So what better person to take us to the next stage about praise than Mr. Music, Clive? Thanks, brother. That was awesome. (laughs) One of the really great things about um, this idea of praying, um, those of us who were at the opening night of Hillsong Conference, we actually were part of the prayer that the Prime Minister of our nation led uh, to, to lead us in a kind of thinking and praying and asking God to heal the nation. Like it was, it was incredible that the Prime Minister of our country was there and leading us in prayer. My mission today is to direct our thoughts and attention on the whole idea of praise and arising in praise. And many of you will be aware of C.S. Lewis and the series of books that he wrote, the children's books called The Chronicles of Narnia. And I want to direct our thinking along this lines from, and, and using the, a quotation from the last book of the series, which is called The Last Battle. And I'll just read you this little quotation. About half an hour later, or it might have been half a hundred years later, for time there is not like time here, Lucy stood with her dear friend, her oldest friend from Narnia, the fawn, Mr Tumnus, looking down over the wall of that garden and seeing all Narnia spread out before her. But when you looked down, you found that this hill was much higher than you had thought. It sank with shining cliffs, thousands of feet below, and the trees in that lower world looked no bigger than green grains of salt. Then she turned inward again and stood with her back to the wall and looked at the garden. I see, she said thoughtfully. I see now. This garden is like the stable. It's far bigger inside than it was outside. Of course, daughter of Eve, said the fawn, the further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside. I see, she said. This is still Narnia. 
and the more real and the more beautiful than Narnia down below, just as it was more real and more beautiful than the Narnia outside the stable door. I see. It's a world within a world. Narnia within Narnia. Yes, said Tumnus. It's like an onion, except that as you continue to go up and in, each circle is larger than the last. Further up and further in. It sounds a lot like the language that Lindsay reminded us of from Isaiah 60. Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. That verse and others like it gave purpose to the praising pilgrims that ascended the pathway to the temple in Jerusalem. And there is a beautiful selection of psalms known as the Songs of Ascents. Sometimes it's called the Songs of the Stairway or the Songs of the Rise or Songs of Degrees. They're examples of praise on the move, praise in the journey, praise further up and further in. Now the phrase further up and further in or the word arise, they're quite thought-provoking, particularly as we apply them to praise. They're like a lens that we can apply and we can examine our life and our faith and we can even apply it to praise, our praise position before God. It's paradoxical, but our faith is driven by this fact, that the more we focus on the specific targeted idea or thought, the wider and more brilliant that idea becomes. We see more when we start to focus on the um, minor part, the smaller part. It becomes bigger, more expansive. It happens with the scripture. You start to focus on something in the scripture and you begin to see a whole world of possibilities. It's the same when we praise. When we come to praise God, we can focus on one aspect of God and then a whole world of possibilities, revelation, all of that kind of stuff happens. Just like Lucy in the quote from Narnia, we can see praise as much bigger than simply singing songs on a Sunday. But sadly, many people settle for the solo Sunday serving. They think that I've done my praise for the week. Do you realise that praise is the only thing we can give back to God that he hasn't first given to us? It's the only gift we can bring to the one who has everything. Our praise. City Church, it's time to arise in praise. To go individually and corporately further up and further in in praise. Now, to go further up and further in, of course, assumes that we have a particular position in praise. Our thoughts and our experience, it's a, sometimes we can consider it to be like a low-level kind of plateaued position. But arise isn't just an encouragement for us. It's actually a directive to change our current praise posture, to go further up and further in, in God's presence. 
And depth of praise comes through cultivating our understanding of God's word, our thoughts, and our experience. And to do that with an intention. Now, song is not necessarily something that's important to praise. Thought is. The interesting thing is, of course, the more we think about the greatness of God, the more we are kind of almost compelled to develop our response through singing. But it's not, it's not praise is not singing. Engaging our thoughts in the praise process guards us against a spectator mentality. So we can be sitting in a building like this and we can have other people around us praising and we cannot be praising. We can be kind of praising by proxy, if you like. Everyone else is praising, so they're praising around me, so they're doing the praising and I'm swept up in the praise. But what I'm talking about is going further up and further in, not settling for that type of praise where we're just immersed in it around and about us. But I'm talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about Tuesday. I'm talking about Thursday and Friday and Wednesday and Saturday. You thought I'd forgotten it, didn't you? This is an area in which we can all arise and we can all go further up and further in because we need to take responsibility for our praise. The creative team, they rehearse and they, the worship leaders think about what songs might be the best songs for the morning, but really it's not their responsibility to get us to praise. It's our responsibility and we use the material that they bring as an extension of our praise. But we should have come to church already praising. The reality is everybody's on a different praise space. Spiritually speaking, we can arise after lying down. We can stand up after falling. After being wounded, we can get ready for action. After relaxing or reclining, it's time to move on. Kathy's father, he's uh, been a farmer all his life. He's now in his 90s. He has this, it's a pretty well-known expression that he uses at the end of every time we sit down at the table. He'll kind of take a big breath in, put his hands onto the table, and he'll say, well, I suppose. And then he gets up and goes off to work. It's the, he's had a time of reclining and relaxing, but now it's time to get back to work. And I think that's a further up and further in attitude. It's not settling, not being content, not being passive. It's a ready for the next phase, a ready for the revelation. It's busting for the breakthrough. In praise, that kind of attitude establishes a baseline. It's like the, the foundation place. It explores what is going to be beyond. What, what can we not see yet that we can move to in praise? And it encourages others on the journey. Do you know in the space where you inhabit, you can actually encourage other people to praise? by the way that you stand, the way that you, your posture, everything that you bring in praise can be an encouragement to other people, even to people that aren't Christian. 
when you're at work tomorrow, the praise that you bring God in your workplace is the way that you conduct yourself. And that can make quite a difference to the atmosphere in your workplace and be a witness to other people. But what I really love is that the Bible is full of examples of praise. And one of those, Lindsay's uh, pre preaching also introduced us to one of the, the Psalms, which is part of this group called the Songs of Ascent. And there's 15 of these Psalms that are grouped together, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And though the origin of the title is a bit obscure, it's generally believed that these Psalms were used when pilgrims were travelling up to Jerusalem for the annual festival. In Psalm 122 and verse 4 we read, That's where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. Now, Jerusalem was surrounded by mountains. And uh, so I've read this, that trips to the holy city involved a lot of walking uphill. Um, these psalms were quite likely the ones that they sang to encourage themselves on the trip, to remind themselves of the greatness of God. And uh, the people who sang them, they believed there was like uh, degrees of, as they moved up, they sang the next psalm and so on. They contain numerous examples of God's goodness, his sustenance, his provision, and some of the most memorable portions of Scripture. So we're just going to have a look at some of these. They'll come up on the screen, and we'll just read. Most, most of these, in fact, the song, you can put them up now, Beck. There we go. Let's, if you want to, let's get Anglican, and let's read them all together. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Next one. There seems to be a glitch here. There we go. No, I rejoice. This is Psalm 122. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Keep them rolling through, Beck. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord, according to the statute given to Israel. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. That's good news. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. 
I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. Most of those were just the first verses of that little collection of psalms. So with lyrics like that, I think a pilgrimage would become a praise party even before they got to the temple. And that's the whole point. What I'm trying to say to you today is praise is not the domain of the church building. Praise is meant to be an all-of-life experience, an everyday experience, and it's time, I think, for us to arise, to go further up and further in, to test that, the, the, test the waters. Praise God outside of the building. Praise God every day. I like that reference to pilgrimage because we're all on a praise journey. We're praise pilgrims and we're found at different places moving along the trail. It reminded me of Tony and Deb Bowden and, and when they went on the Camino de Santiago de Compostela, that pilgrimage, that walk. Apparently, there the pilgrims do a, uh, they have a greeting that they say to each other, which is Altrea, and the response is et susea, which basically it means go further and go higher. It could be re rendered continue and grow, onward and upward, or in our context today, arise, go further up and further in. I like the encouragement aspect of one another to praise further up and further in. I wonder if the band could come up and the singers. I'm going to leave you with a lyric today from a song called Won't Stop Now. It's by Chris Brown and Stephen Furtick. It has a strong echo of the encouragement to move further up and further in to arise and praise. And it sounds to me like an adventure. Are you up for it? Can I count you in? Here's the lyric. I give you glory for all you've brought me through, and now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. I'm moving forward to follow after you, and now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. Your presence is an open door. We want you, Lord, like never before, because your presence is an open door. So come now, Lord, like never before. Amen.